Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read. I'm going to read for us the first three verses. It says, therefore, now obviously when we begin reading and we have a conjunction like this, it's a dangerous place to read. We're going to get to that. But therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, brothers and sisters, in Scripture we know that we are given many metaphors, a helpful way for us to understand the truths of the Christian life. And while we don't want to stretch these metaphors to make it say something that it's not intended to say, we do want to be able to see what is being communicated through this metaphor. And, and here in our text this morning, we have some words of, of exhortation given to us in order to seal into our hearts the truth that the author is stating. And that is the picture of a race in which we as believers are runners and I want, with God's help, to, to consider this, this this morning. There are always many words um, spoken during a Sunday morning or during, during a sermon. But if you only remember one thing, I want to put it before you right now. And it's it, the one thing that I want to communicate is encapsulated in the three words where he says, Let us run. Let us run. And, brother, I don't know what each of you are facing this morning there are different situations i don't know if some of you here are are tired and weary or if you're full of faith and passion but wherever you are on your walk of faith this morning the call to us is this let us run let us run and you might hear that and say well that what does that even mean it seems kind of ambiguous it's it's, it's, what, what what have we been discussing well we're going to get to that in a little bit but one thing it does mean is that we keep moving we keep moving. We can't stop. We don't stop. This life continues on, brethren, and we must as well, right? We keep moving, keep pressing on, keep persevering, and keep enduring. And I know we get weary. I know we get discouraged. I know we get distracted. But we have to fight through all of those things and with God's help continue to run the race with a holy determination and a desire to finish well and to hear those words from our Lord, well done, well done. But it also means intentional, intentionality. This is not a call to just meandering along, however we feel like living, right? In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, This one thing I do, I strain forward. I'm pressing towards the goal for the prize, right? He wants us to know that he's not looking back. He's not asking for different circumstances or wishing he had different circumstances around him. He's pressing on. He's going forward. Onward, brethren. That's the call. That's the call of these verses. Onward. Onward. And so these three words have gripped me in the last couple of days in a way that, probably because I'm the one that needs them the most, but we have this before us as words from the Lord himself. Let us run. 
Now, I want to get to a clearer definition of this in a moment, but first we want to consider just the context here of this verse in the context of Hebrews. As I mentioned, we start reading with the conjunction there. We need to examine what came before it. And you know that this letter in general is written as an argument and a plea to these people. Not they were, they were discouraged probably by the difficulty of the Christian life. And in so doing, maybe they were tempted and tried and on the, on the verge of falling out of the race because they were so tempted and feeble and weak. And so Hebrews begins with this exaltation of Christ and it continues with, his, with the exposition. It almost reads as a sermon. He he exposits the truth of Christ as a, his work as a prophet and priest and a king, and time and time again, pointing out the fact that Jesus is the substance to which the shadows of the Old Testament pointed to. Then, after holding up the saints of the Old Testament who trusted in God's word and lived by faith, there in chapter 11, chapter 12 begins with the conjunction, therefore, right? Taking the attention off of the past, pointing the finger at us, and saying, now this is us. These people have given us examples. Now let us run. This is about us. This is about today. It's turning the tables on us, taking our eyes off of the past and off of other people after giving us examples and saying, now you must run. You must run. Because you see, it's not enough, is it, to to be convinced of truth and to see others who are living in truth and have, have lived good examples. We need to take what we have learned and apply it to ourselves. And that's the call. That's the point of this text. Why do we look to Jesus? Why do we endure? Why do we lay aside sins? Because we want to run. We want to go forward. And we will see in a minute that it is good and right to look back at at people, to look back at chapter 11 and be encouraged by them. But the truth is that you and I, you and I today are called to run. We're not just people out there under a general call, Scripture, excuse me, always speaks to in individuals. And today it's this. Others have run. Others have trusted Christ. Others have believed Him. Others have attempted great things for Him and done great things. Now, it's us. It's us. So the question has to be answered. What, what exactly is this exhortation? Now that you've been reminded of the great work of Christ and you've been reminded of the saints who have walked by faith and trusted God, what is he exhorting us to do? And I would just define this exhortation as this, to live with a passionate pursuit of holiness in order that we might live effective lives and be able to endure to the end, right? To live with a passionate pursuit of holiness. If we're going to, if we're going to live effective lives, we're going to need to endure all the way to the end, And if we're going to endure, we're going to need to put away weights and sins which hold us back, which is why we need to pursue holiness. And I'm not saying that we pursue holiness in an attempt to to earn our salvation or present ourselves worthy to God as people who should be saved. We remember that endurance isn't the goal. Laying aside weights and sins isn't the goal. The goal is to press on, to live with purpose, to be effective, to be pleasing to the Lord, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 9. And so we have all kinds of scripture which points to the fact that, yes, we are saved by grace alone, but we are also called to live holy lives. Even right here in Hebrews 12, we read there in verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, which, without which no one will see the Lord. 
In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to, the, to completion in the fear of God. And so I say this, brethren, if we're going to run this race well, if we're going to be intentional about it, we're going to have choices to make. We're going to have sacrifices to make. But what is your goal? I mean, are we not seeking to run well? Participation isn't the goal, right? Existence isn't our goal. We desire to live effectively, right? Are we not seeking to be useful to the master, as Paul exhorted Timothy? Are we not seeking to make it to the end, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Of course we are. We are believers. I know that is what your hope is set upon. We long for the day we finally are welcomed into his presence. And so to help us run well, I want to just look at a few things from this text and pray that it would be helpful as we go from here. And the first one is that we should run confidently. I say confident because this text is directly connected to the preceding chapter, right? As, as we see there. And there we are giving, given in chapter 11 a broad overview of the lives of some of the saints who were most used by God. And I think one of the reasons this conjunction is here is because the triumphs of, the faith, of faith and the lives of people in chapter 11 are to be an inspiration and a motivation for us today. It's as if we were to read this idea. Others have run. Others have endured. Others have seen the hand of God at work, calling them, sustaining them, enabling them to do what by other means they could not do. Now, you must take courage and remember that we serve the same God who does not change, right? And when we take the baton and we run, we have to remember that others have gone before and others have been helped by God and he is with us right now in our lives. I don't know about you, but I find, I find great encouragement when I read scripture and I see all the unlikely people that God used. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be gained um, just by way of encouragement. When you look at the list of sinners, I mean sinners, whom God saved by faith and accomplished many great things through them. They, they all fell short, but these people laid hold of God by faith. And by his grace, they were able to accomplish so much. I mean, we have to think a little bit. Think of Moses, right? I mean, who is Moses? I mean, I, I say that in all reverence, but really, just to make a point. I mean, was Moses some great man? Was he some guy who read a book on leadership and became the most amazing leader the world has ever known? I mean, no doubt he had some God-given gifts, but he was a man who was endowed with power from on high. He was a man who considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the fleeting pleasures of sin. He was a man of meekness and humility. You see, he was just like us. A weak man. A sinner. A murderer but after God changed him he was used who who is Gideon he, of all people Gideon was the most weak fearful and timid person we would find right i mean he was so 
fearful that he needed confirmation. He needed God to confirm God's confirmation, right? I mean, he was so weak, but God used him to deliver Israel. Who is Rahab? I mean, even here, in, isn't it amazing that even here in this chapter of faith, she is called Rahab the harlot. So she was. But God used her. And so we could go through all of these people, all their sins and failures, and, and read about how unlikely they were. But we come to Hebrews 11, and what do we find? We find that God used them. And it's all about their faith in Him and what He did through them. It's not about their sins and failures. And so my point is this, that all these stories, that we have to realize that God uses imperfect people who simply trust Him. We want to live with confidence and to run with purpose, knowing that God can and will use imperfect people who trust in him. And so in light of those who have gone before, in light of all the things that we see in their lives, let us run. This is the whole point of the passage. We are the ones on the track now. We are the ones with life before us, right? We we read, we read there in... In Second Chronicles, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, seeking to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. You see, that's now. You see, the Lord is able to give strong support to those who are trusting him. And if God is our helper and sustainer, then, then if God is looking for people, why not us? Why do we think that we are unable to do this? Just because of our sins and our failures and our weaknesses. But it's not about us. It's about God who enables them and gives strong support to these people. Why would, not, why would we not be the ones to trust him? Because these men and women of Hebrews 11 are of the same stock as us. You recognize that? The same stock, the same sinful tendencies, the same snares and sins. But he used them mightily. And so I just want to say, run with confidence. Live with confidence, knowing that the God of Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Rahab, and others is our God too. He saved us. He's our help right now. And he is able, as we read in Ephesians, to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So run confidently. Secondly, run freely. You see this here in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The NASB said, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. See, it's interesting to me that this does not say, put away sin. Put away sin. Because many of Paul's epistles say such things. They, they tell us to put sin to death. But... This is a unique encouragement to put away things that may not be explicitly sin, but they are hindrances to us. And the word here could literally could mean mass. It's, it's as though it's a, it pictures this thing that we're carrying around that we could lay aside, we could be free from, we could move on from it. And to me, it's a powerful reminder that if we have a singular focus to please the Lord, and as we mature in our faith, we will be shedding old habits and practices that may not be explicitly sinful, but are not helpful in our goal of pleasing the Lord. 
Now, we need to be very careful about how we analyze ourselves in this area because in, in one way, we don't want to impede on our Christian liberties, right? That, that's a precious truth which promotes church unity and love. But we also don't want to go out of balance the other way and just say, oh, everything's a matter of conscience. And so this morning, I would just ask you to examine your own life. No one else is going to do that for you this morning. Just examine your own life. This is an individual task and a question that we need to ask. What things are hindering me from running freely? And remember, the metaphor of running is, is, is just simply a way for us to think about living with a passionate pursuit of holiness that we might live effectively and endure to the end. So, so what about you? What, what about us? Are we running with weights that keep us worn down and are impeding our progress as a Christian? Now, again, we, we need to be careful in this because if you know me a little bit, you know that I'm not this self-help motivational speaker who just wants us to have a few principles and go on happy. That's not the idea. This is not a three-step program to a better life, right? This has to do with our hearts. This has to do with our hearts. Are you holding certain things too closely to the point where you are not able to run freely? And another aspect of this, as we think about examining our own lives and, and, and where we are, is that in, in our day and in our culture, many of the things which used to be called sin are now called preferences. Purity has been redefined so we can be entertained by today's media and not feel bad. Stewardship has been redefined so we can spend our time on money and money on worldly things and not feel guilty. Love has been redefined as, as a, a proclamation only or a profession so that we can claim Christ but actually spend much of our time doing things that he hates or at least grieves him. And so I want us to think about this. If, if any of us have fallen into a trap of redefining things that, that in former days we would not have allowed in our lives, because God's standard has not changed, and neither should ours. So we need to look at our lives and ask God to reveal areas in us in which we may have been, we may maybe have become too casual. And if he puts his finger on something in your life, we want to, by God's grace, lay it aside so that we can run unhindered, so we can live effectively and go on. Paul tells us in in. His letter to Timothy, he says that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And that's kind of the idea behind laying aside weights which keep us from running freely, right? I mean, this, this isn't hard to understand, this picture. I mean, if you picture life as a race and you begin running, right, when you were first saved, you, you, you're probably running with a lot of weights and sins, right? It entangled us. It's like we were running with big heavy shoes and a big coat and a bucket of rocks. I mean, that's kind of how it begins. But then sanctification begins and, and we realize that we're going to endure to the end. We begin laying things aside. We begin taking all these things off and we begin to be able to run freely and, more, and swiftly and be effective. See, that's what happens when God begins to sanctify us. We begin to lay aside those things which we carried with us. But they were hindrances and they held us back. And so we set those all aside. 
And do you, do you recognize, do you remember the freedom and freshness and zeal that you are given for life when you don't have the guilt of sin, you don't have the guilt of these things that you don't need, these things that hold us back? We're not missing them when we lay them aside. We're free. We're free to run. Because sin is bondage that holds us back. When we should be moving forward. It is a, a snare tying our feet together so we can, we're stationary people rather than swift runners. And it says that these weights and sins are things which cling closely to us. Right? I mean, that's how it works when we fail to put away the encumbrances that, that he's speaking of. And I'm sure that in this time of year, like you drive around and you take notice of, of many of the neatly landscaped gardens around, right? And we see lots of new, fresh little shoots coming up. But if, if that garden goes untended for a couple of weeks and you come back, you'll see a bunch of weeds beginning to grow. And if they're not taken care of, within a few short days, the weeds take over the garden completely, right? You see, it's much easier to take things out before the root of it goes down in and entangles itself among all other things. And so it is with those things which we allow in our lives which have no business keeping us from running freely. The longer we let that go, the more intertwined the roots become and we're so attached to it and, and when we begin to pull on it, it hurts and so we let it go and we let it go and the root goes deeper and deeper and deeper and it becomes so difficult to lay aside. So, these things which may be easy to remove at the beginning, I want you to think about them. I mean, I say, like, oh, give up my hobby? What? what? Where does the Bible say that I have to give up my hobby? What's wrong with that? Well, give up my personal thing, my, my, my whatever it may be. Change my, change my habits? Why? Where does the Bible say that that's wrong? He said, that's not the idea. That, that's, when God puts his finger on something and tells us that it must go, obedience Obedience to that is the best choice because when we let it go, it requires so much more struggle. Deep-rooted sins come out with such pain and difficulty and it's so much easier to put them away at the beginning, right? And I'm not going to pretend to know where all you guys are at or to think that, that I would know what it is that you need to deal with, but think of whatever it may be, a hindrance that keeps you from accomplishing our God-given tasks, Right? So if you're supposed to be a godly, loving, caring, intentional husband and we're constantly preoccupied or distracted with hobbies and, and, and other things, something needs to change, right? I mean, if our personality becomes an excuse to not do what God called us to do, something has to change. If our entertainment and technology keeps us from having adequate time in the Word of God and in prayer and in active service, something needs to change. And so the examples are endless and God's Spirit will show you what you need to know. I just simply want us to hear this exhortation to lay aside, lay aside anything that is a hindrance to us to live freely, to run swiftly, to live with pure joy for the glory of God.
So quickly, the second part of this urging is, is to put away sin, right? So it's not, it's not just sin, it's the other things. But we also have to recognize that, that sin has no place in the life of a believer. We're told to lay aside every weight and sin. And we know this is a common teaching in the New Testament, right? Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. No concession. In Romans 8, he says, you know, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. So Paul has all these exhortations for us, these commands. But Jesus spoke the most direct words concerning sin. If you, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to, to Mark chapter 9. Jesus said this, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. I mean, you recognize that our meek and lowly Savior spoke with a scorching tongue when it came to dealing with sin. He gave no concessions for sin, no provision for it, just executing it immediately. And we recognize that Jesus is using figures of speech to show us how, how radical we should be at executing the sin in our lives. But we, we don't want to overlook this, right? Because you know, as well as I, that this truth of the Christian putting sin to death is a reality. Because we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, I mean, Romans says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you, right? We read that there in Romans 6. And you know that for all these saints, for all the saints who are going to make it to the finish line, there's going to be this horrible, wretched pile of hands and feet and eyes that were cast aside and cut off and gouged out. Yes, they made it to the end, but it cost them. Because they were radically dealing with the sin in their lives. Now, friends, I, I know. I mean, there are times that our hearts grow cold. I... I we get weary. We begin to look around as David did there in Psalm 73 and we think, oh, it seems like the wicked, they have, they have such a prosperous life. They seem so free. They're, I mean, look at what they're doing. They're just enjoying life and it's, it's just, our love grows cold. And we take our eyes off of Christ and we put them on other things and we, we need to do what David did. He recognized that in the end. You see, this, this, is, no, this is no new thing. Believers from every age have been faced with this temptation to just coast and take it easy when we should be running. But this is why we need reminders. We need, we need somebody to refocus our minds, remind us that we have been placed here for a purpose. We have a commissioning from the King of Kings to run. And so I would ask you, are you living purely, brother and sister? Are you living free? from the sin and encumbrances? Are you radically killing the sin when it becomes evident in your life? This has to be our testimony. And if you're not engaged in the holy war against sin, then I can predict that you are or you soon will recognize that you are falling back in the race. Because you're, you're carrying things that you should not be carrying. So run confidently, run freely, run purposefully. This is, this is what we were singing about this morning, to look unto Christ. It says, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.
You see, here's how we run well. Here's how we learn to endure, by looking, by looking to our Savior and beholding his life as our example. If our focus, well, brother, our focus needs to always be on Christ. Our tendency is what? To look at ourselves, to look within, to look around, to look at others. But he must be at the forefront of our minds. And we, we need endurance to run well, right? So how are we going to endure? By telling ourselves we can do it? By saying it's not that bad? No. By fixing, by fixing our minds upon him. To flood our minds with thoughts and reminders of him and what his life, especially in times of, of great need or great temptation. Has not Jesus promised everything we need for life and godliness? See, in times of temptation, we need to look to him and remember, there, there's our loving Lord. He died for me. He was buried. He was raised again and ascended to the Father's side. And there he is, making intercession for me. He ever lives to make intercession for me. He's there right now in this moment. Christ is there. How can I sin? How can I fall into temptation? How can I say yes to this, this sin? When there is my Savior who bled and died for me, pleading his blood, interceding on my behalf. You see, looking unto Jesus is, is directly connected to being able to run well. If our eyes are not constantly set upon the Lord, we're going to be a bunch of nearsighted Christians who only see the things of this world and can never set our minds on heavenly things. Right? I mean, we, we need to lift... Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. In Philippians 3.19, Paul is summarizing the... the the mindset of these enemies of the cross, and they, they're described as people that have their minds set on earthly things. God, help us not to be so nearsighted that we are so overwhelmed by all that we see with our physical eyes. We only see the difficulty, and we can never look to eternity to look to our Lord who went before us and has endured hostility, and he's awaiting us. He's awaiting the, the welcoming us into the eternal glory. And so we have to recognize that, for one thing, looking unto Jesus is not like some of this mystical idea. This is not some thing that can't be defined, where it basically just says, you know, it is exercise faith, right? Faith, faith is exactly what is being spoken of when he's saying looking unto Jesus. Because we read in the next part of the sentence that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So, so here's, here's the picture. To live effectively, we need endurance. We need to press through all the temptations to fall back, to quit. To, we need to press on, to keep going, to endure. And to, look, and to endure, we need to look to Jesus. But in order to look to him, we must have faith. Faith is how we look to him. But even that, we're unable to muster up on our own, right? He is the author and finisher. He's the founder of our faith. Faith is a gift of God, right? So look up to Christ, yes, but God is the one who enables us to look to Christ. Now just just quickly, um, the Bible, sometimes it's, it's we, we twist ourselves all into knots trying to come up with definitions for things like faith, right? But faith is so simple that the Bible describes it in some ways that, that anyone, any child, understand it. Here it's connected to looking unto Jesus. And Isaiah makes the connection of faith being looking unto Christ too, where he says in Isaiah 45, 22, he says, look unto me, 
all the ends of the earth and be saved. Just look. Our lives begin by looking to him, and we must continue to look to him day by day. So that's the key to enduring hardship, to running the race, to finishing well, to look to him. And I can tell you this, that the weary and faint-hearted and discouraged Christian is in need of lifting his eyes to the Savior. That's the need. David said, I, I, I've set the Lord always before me. I see, that should be our testimony. Always looking to the Lord. I've set the Lord before me. He is always there. Someone said, in, in, you know, the, we're told here that we need to endure. And scripture says many things about endurance. Jesus said, if, you know, by your endurance, you're going to gain your lives. In, in Hebrews 10, it says, you have need of endurance. Right? Someone said it's easier to run for a minute than to walk for a day. I think that's true because we find it hard to press on to the daily grind of life, putting one foot in front of another day by day because it's not exhilarating, it's monotonous sometimes, right? So endurance is our great need. But the purpose of writing to these people is to keep them from becoming weary and losing heart. And in this letter, we have much to learn by way of endurance. We can look back at these people in chapter 11 and remember that they endured hardships because as Moses, they were looking forward. They were looking to Christ. They were looking to that day, to their inheritance, right? And so here in our text, we see the example of Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So we are told to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that we might not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, we need this sometimes. We need this exhortation because we are a faint-hearted people. I mean, I know we come to church and, and we put on our best and we look the part and we smile and, and help each other because we want to be encouraging. We don't want to be, you know, miserable, discouraged people all the time. But here's the truth. Life is hard, right? It, it gets discouraging at times and it requires intentionality it requires sacrifice it requires selflessness and sometimes we need to be reminded we need to be encouraged because we grow weary we think oh oh you know it's it's okay we can't have a piping hot passion all the time i just need a break for a while i'm just going to step back and and take it easy i'm going to disconnect and so we and then we go on this road where we begin to relax and we begin to focus on ourselves and we're less concerned about others in the church who are in need and less concerned about those around us. And we just look at ourselves. And it's a trap. I tell you, it's a trap that has sucked many people into a life of existence rather than active service. A life of coasting rather than a life of courage. A life of self-gratification rather than self-denial for the sake of Christ and his people. And that's why we need this encouragement. That's why we need this exhortation. Because we need some, sometimes, there's a time in our lives where we need people, someone from the outside to say, brother, you're falling back. You're, you're falling back. You've got to lay aside whatever is keeping you from running well. It might be a faulty mindset. It might be that our focus is on the wrong thing. Or it might be a sin that we need to deal with. But we need someone who said, like Paul, he said to the Galatians, he said, you are running so well. What hindered you? You were doing so well. What has hindered you? 
I mean, see, that's a good question for us to consider. What, what, how have we been hindered? What's caused us to fall back? It might be a distraction. It might be a, a sin that we let, refuse to let go of. But whatever it is, we need to be confronted with that thing. To look to our Savior and find freedom and purpose and passion and vision and, and ability to lay it aside and focus forward. Now, I, I would just ask for a gracious minute to just say something to those of you who are middle age and beyond. And I, I want to say it with great respect. But uh, so many people, so many people go so tired in their older years. And instead of asking God for fresh courage to keep going and keep running well, they just throw up their hands and say, I've done all I can do and I'm just going to fall back into the background and, and complain about the world and the church. And instead of the years where God would have you be most effective and most useful, so many people slide into a life of existence. And from the outside, we think, you were running so well. You were running so well. What hindered you? Why have you fallen off? What has has held you back. Don't be that, brethren. Don't be that. Finish the race. What a sad testimony it would be to run so well, to be so dependent upon God, living a life of faith for the first half of your life and give it all back and coast. Just coast. Just take it easy. We've got to remember the Lord's words, those who endure to the end. Brethren, keep going. Keep persevering. Keep focusing on Him. Now, just a minute of conclusion and application. I, I want to remind us of three motivations that we have to run well and, and just apply it quickly and we're through, all right? So, first of all, I want to remind us that we have a short time, right? I mean, I, I know the days feel long and the calendar pages, they turn pretty quickly, though. Days are difficult and the monotony of of day-to-day life can sometimes diminish our view of the brevity of this life and how, how quickly it passes. They are, um, we're told in, in Psalms 90, right, that Lord, teach us to number our days. That's going to help us endure and to keep, keep it's going to keep us from, from just meandering down the track. doesn't matter how old we are. We recognize the brevity of life. The second thing is we have a great mission Right? These three things should fill our minds daily. Eternity, the souls of men, and the glory of Christ. And if we keep uh, in the forefront of our minds these things, we're going to run with purpose and endurance. Right? We think of the people in Hebrews 11, what they did and how they lived. It's summarized this way. It says, They through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, remained strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. See, these people ran well. Why? Because they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And they were seeking a better country, seeking a heavenly one. So should we. But then third and finally, a motivation is, is, brethren, we've been given all that we need. We 
have great promises. We have 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We're not a people to be pitied. We're a people who've been provided for. We've been given all things. And so remember the brevity of life. Remember the greatness of our mission. And remember that we've been given great and precious promises to accomplish all that God has asked of us. All right? So three points. Run confidently, run freely, and run purposefully. Three motivations. And now three applications. I don't know what this means in your life. Uh, we're all at different places with different makeups and different needs. For some, it may be that you just need to put one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. Just don't stop. This is the day that we have. Look to the Lord. Find strength for today. He's interceding for you. Because fresh supplies of faith and courage are going to be given to us as we fix our minds upon him. Right? That's our exhortation. Consider him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the exhortation for some of us is just keep going. Consider him. Others, no doubt, have sins in your life that must be put to death. And we must be done with treating sin lightly. Be done with running down the track with skeletons tied to our feet, right? Because sin is a snare, it clings to us like a leech. And Jesus gave us a tactic for dealing with it. Cut it off. And he has promised to empower us to do what he has commanded us to do. And finally, I would just encourage you, if, if, if some of you are here running the race with a burden on your back, just ask God to help you see what it may be. That may, Maybe it is permissible, but it's not helpful. And I would expect that, that if you pray and ask the Lord to show you these things, there may, be, there may be one, there may be a dozen, but there may be some things that you find if you put aside, you lay aside, you can run freely. And that's really the main point of this message, to hear the words of exhortation, let us run, let us run, run for the glory of Christ with purity of heart and endurance and longing for that day when we see our Lord and we hear, well done. Well done. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just, I pray that whatever truth was spoken from this text this morning, that you, by your spirit, would apply it to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to look unto Christ daily. Help us to set our minds on things above. Lord, we don't want to be an earthly-minded people. So keep us. Keep us focused on what the race is about, what the purpose is, Lord. And give us the grace that we need to be effective. To be purposeful. Because we long to live for your glory in whatever short years you give us on this earth. So we ask God for your help. In Christ's name, amen.